Why does the Bible talk so much about behavior? That's the question we're discussing today on Hear of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, brain manager of The Gospel Project, and with me, as always, is Brian Dombozik, our managing editor. Brian, we're here. We have reached the end of the Old Testament. That's right. That's right. We have done a very quick survey of, well, most of it. Well, yeah, we picked most up of kind it. of midway through. We did, yeah. 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 And that's okay because, I mean, that's what happens when you change formats on a show. Um, and what happened before didn't matter. That whole creation fall fine. thing, you know. Yeah, now, careful, we're going to get some emails. Um, that <laughs> All that matters. We'll come back around to it at some point. So. Yes, we will. <laughs> um, but today we are finally at one of the most important books in the Old Testament, along with the other <laughs> many <laughs> important books in the Old Testament. Uh, the, you know, 39 the 38 total. Other, yeah. <laughs> 38 other books. Uh, the book of Malachi. <laughs> so, uh, before we dig ourselves into a hole we can't get out of. <laughs> We're both digging holes today. Right. Uh, so, how about you tell us where this book falls in the narrative of the Bible's big story? Well, this book is, of course, at the tail end of the Old Testament. Uh, it is probably occurring about at the same time as Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, this is a prophetic book that is serving as a hinge to take us from the Old Testament, all that has happened, mm-hmm. um, not just in that recent time period, but kind of looking back overall. I mean, we see once again, God's people have either fallen, if you're an optimist, or plunged, if you're a cynic like me, into <laughs> rebellion once again, yeah. sin, uh, hard-heartedness. Yeah. And, uh, and so he is warning them once again. So it's this, yeah. this common refrain, and it's setting us up toward the New Testament, of course. Yeah. After this will be a 400-year period of silence, it's called, where God does not give any new prophecy. does not mean he was not active. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just means he was not giving prophetic word for 400 years yeah. until John shows up. Yeah. And what's interesting, um, as you read this book, you notice very quickly that I mean, you you said, you know, they fell or plunged headlong into, into into sin and rebellion once again. Their rebellion this time is different than in other times. Yeah, they learned their lesson, but then they didn't learn the bigger lesson. Right. They 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 stopped worshiping idols yeah. for the most part. Um, but well, and you see that in the New yeah. Testament. You see I mean, we, we are quick and we should give the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes grief for their hard-heartedness. But when you look beneath the surface, what was motivating them was this fear of idol worship. Yes. They, because when Jesus comes on the scene and he's calling himself God or not, well, he, yeah, he did, but yeah. others are calling him God as well. And they look at this and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, there's one God. We learned this lesson the hard way. Yes. And so they are coming from a a monotheistic, not understanding the Trinity. Uh, they're coming from that lens. So you kind of appreciate it to a degree. Yeah. But yeah. they fell into a different trap of legalism. They became boasting and boastful yeah. in their their they saw themselves, hey, we're the protectors. Yeah. And in this instance, it's not even that they're being um they're being legalistic. They're being half-hearted. They're, yeah, this they're is just kind of going yeah, back through in Malachi the where we are here. It's yeah. half-heartedness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um so there's some questions that I um, mean when we read any book of the book of the Bible, there are questions that come up. What are a few that come up in this one? 
Well, the first one is who is this guy named Malachi and what's an Italian doing writing part of the scriptures? You know, that's that's a good question. It's an important one. I appreciate your assistance with pronouncing this guy's name correctly as well. Um, oh, wait, no, that was completely wrong. That, yeah, that's that was I get a big X for that. Wrong. One. No. So Malachi here, that that's one of the questions. Who is Malachi? Yeah. There, well, there is uh, a school of thought that it is a pseudonym. It's not a real person. It, it's representing um, somebody else that this he's representing a messenger. My messenger is yeah. what the name could be uh, derived from. Yeah. I think the majority recognize that this was a literal person, uh, a prophet by the name of Malachi. Either way, yeah. it doesn't really impact the truth of the message of the book. But again, I kind of fall toward it was a real person named Malachi. Yeah, I mean, that is definitely the majority view. Um, the the um, the minority view that, uh, that you mentioned earlier, that tends to come from um, really primarily looking at the Septuagint. Um, and so, uh, so his name shows up there as basically Malachi. <laughs> and so it's like, it could just be, it's a shortened form of that name. Yeah. So it's okay. <laughs> but either way, the point stands. So, um, one of the thing, one of the other questions that we should ask about this book is, is why does it keep using this question and answer refrain? Um, so throughout it, um, God is saying, I have done this. And then the book says, but you say, well, how have you done this? Or how have we done this? And then God gives an answer. Um, and it's and it's pretty biting throughout the whole thing. Um, and it's, it's the Old Testament's Twitter. Absolutely. <laughs> but, I mean, so much of this has to do with the literary form of this book. So the style of this book. So um, this, it's obviously, it's 100% true. It is a prophetic book. Um, it it, it is events it's dealing with things that were actually happening at that time um so don't hear what i'm not saying people um when i say this you have to understand this book for what it is which is really it's a work of satire yeah and that's really important because what satire is what it's doing in this instance is satire is basically designed to attack um wrong ideas, wrong beliefs, or misinformed beliefs and understandings and actions um, in light of um, what's called a satiric norm. And so in this case, um, the in this case, Malachi is attacking the people's hard-hearted obedience to God's commands in virtually every area of life. And God's law is upheld as that norm, that standard by which the people's practices are actually being condemned. And so we see a really great example of this in Malachi 3, uh, verses 7 and 8, which says, Since the days of your fathers, you have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you? You ask. By not making payments of the tenth and other and the contributions, which leads us to another question, doesn't it? It does. What do we do with that? And this this precedes the the text on giving, you know, tithing, bringing your tithe, yeah. and so forth, and testing uh, to see what God will do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have done an, an episode on on giving. Uh, yeah, the, the different a perspectives. While back. It was a while back, so. Uh, 
if if you're interested in, in hearing more about this, we're just going to talk about it for a minute. Yeah. You might want to check that episode out. But really, I, th- I think with, with being careful to be sensitive to the different understandings of believers today, whether we are compelled to tithe or not or commanded to tithe, um, I think we need to be careful with this passage to, to use this as the proof of that position. Yes. Because really what this is dealing with more is the heartlessness. Mm-hmm. As you said, this is a half-hearted people. Yeah. They're going through the motions. They're doing some things, but they're not doing it rightly. They're not doing it from the right heart. So I would be reticent about using this as a proof of, look, here it is, the tithe. We have to bring the tithe in. And more of a, a case where we look at this and say, where's your heart in giving? Mm-hmm. And I think wherever you land on that issue of, of the believer today, whether we are compelled to tithe or not, you, the heart has got to drive it. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the same thing. If you do not believe that the believer has to tithe a literal 10%, but is to give joyfully, cheerfully, abundantly, sacrificially, and sacrificially yep. then this still is relevant. Is your heart in that? Yes. Um, or are you just doing that because you know that's a box you have to check? Or if it's the 10%? Same thing. Are you giving 10% rather than 8% because you feel compelled? Is you, are you heartless in it? And you can even go the other way. I give 20%. Okay, what are you doing that for pride? Yes. So I think all these, you know, whatever we give, wherever we land on that, I think this issue of where's your heart behind that giving, that's what's at, at, at stake here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, just to just to re- reemphasize that, it, we really have to understand that a cold hand leads to close uh, a cold heart leads to close hands so someone who is distant from distant from god is not going to is not going to be inclined toward generosity yeah. certainly not in a way that is is honoring of god but what the gospel does is it changes our hearts and so and and so a heart that is you know warm versus a closed one a, a cold one so one meaning one that's marked by a love for and worship of God is is necessarily going to be generous, responding to all that God has done for us. Yeah. So the most important question, of course, that we can ask of this book and of any book is, how does it point us to Jesus? And yeah, I think there are two ways. The the first one, and this is kind of the the gimme, is this book points us to John the Baptist. It it, it refers to this prophet who will come. Um, and so that's clearly talking about John the Baptist. And then we jump over, we turn the page into, yeah. into the Gospels, and we meet John the Baptist first. Yes. So it's a nice connecting thread. But I think there's also this way that we see what we're just talking about, this this half-heartedness, this, this cold-heartedness. And it reminds us of Jeremiah 31 and the New Covenant where God says, I'll give you a new heart. And this is written, of course, Malachi, before that new covenant came into being because Christ is the initiator of the new covenant. Yeah. So here we see a people who are still struggling with sin because their hearts will lead them astray every single time, which is why we are prone to say the the, the advice to follow your heart is terrible advice. Never do that because your heart leads you to the wrong place all the time. Mm-hmm. And we see that over and over again. And so, again, we end the New Testament with this desperate feeling of desperation of, all right, we're back in square one. If we were reading this for the first time, we'd be like, oh, we're excited because Nehemiah is back. Ezra, they're, they're, it seems like they're repenting. Okay, they, they got it. Yeah. And then Malachi pulls the rug out from under us again because the heart is wicked. The heart it will always lead God's or the people astray. We need a new heart. That heart will be provided through Christ Jesus. Yeah, absolutely.
Absolutely. Now, let's uh, let's talk about this book from a uh, disciple-making perspective. So what kind of guidance can we offer to someone who is discipling another person or a group of people? Yeah, well, the first one, let's just kind of drill down a little bit more on what we were just talking about a minute yeah. ago um, about giving. Usually when you hear this book preached, it's mm-hmm. usually with that emphasis. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. Right. Be, you, you can and should talk about giving through this book. So if you're preaching or you're teaching or you're discipling somebody and and you're you're look, looking at this book working through it, don't pass the giving. It's a it's an important part of it, but don't just solely camp out on the giving. Yeah. There's so much more. This has so much more to say about the heart condition we talked about, worship, what true worship looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, the the bigger story arc of scripture. I mean, so there's so many other important parts to this book than just that giving is as important as that. Yes, is. absolutely. Absolutely. It, it It is a point. It's an example. It's not, but it's not the whole exactly. thing. Um, another another th- opportunity that, that this book provides is um, it gives us an opportunity to both give and receive challenging feedback. Um, you know, Proverbs 27 and 6 says that the wounds of a friend are trustworthy. Um, and so what we need to realize is that that really does need to be the expectation in our churches, our small groups, our ministries, our friendships, our families, all of the, basically every area of life that, um, that we have people who can both give critical feedback to us for our good and people that we can give that same feedback to. And that we can receive it, and then we know that they are doing this out of love. I mean, you have to think. You have to think about this. One of the first verses in um, in this book, one of the first condemnations in this book, is is God saying, "I have loved you," and the people saying, "Well, how have you loved us?" <laughs> and um, and really, the whole book is an example of God saying, "This is how I've loved you." Um, he's, he he talks about giving his commands and giving and freeing the people from from bondage in Egypt and bringing them back into the land after their years in captivity um, and on and on and on it goes. And yet it's not it's it has very much this. Well, what have you done for me lately? Kind of attitude that comes that comes through there. Um but in but we do need that in our in our own lives. We need that for pe- we need people in our lives who can do that, and we need to recognize that God does that for us in the scriptures as well. Yeah, I think another area is one where we need good friends, like you just mentioned, to speak into us because we mm-hmm. we both struggle with this one. That um, when you read a book like Malachi and you see the satire and and the uh, the irony, the 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 sarcasm, yeah, it. Many times it's it's tempting for us to find license to be sarcastic. Yes, <laughs> toward others. Um, That's again, crazy, Brian. Uh, Come on, it's nuts. Yeah, but w- we can't miss what you just said. The heart behind this. Well, yeah, this is. Uh, you know, you read this and it's like, all right, this is a little bit biting. It feels the mm-hmm. purpose was love. The purpose was to get God's people to repent of their sin for restoration. It was not to be a jerk. It was not mm-hmm. to show off and show, look how clever I am because I can be so, you know, sarcastic and so forth. It was not because I'm going to vent on you and, yeah. and so forth. And that's that's where we have to be careful. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Some people will use scripture, the prophetic voice in scripture, quite frankly, as a license to be a jerk. Yes, absolutely. I'm just being prophetic. 
No, you're being rude. You're, you're being rude. And yeah. so, yeah, I think that's the thing is we always have to check our heart. Again, the message yes. of this book, we have to check our heart and realize, wait a minute, am I, what am I saying? And am, not just what, but how am I doing it for the person's good and the glory of God? Yeah. And if you can't say that both of those are true, then you probably need to repent of what you just said. Yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, one of the last things that we need to do is we need to keep coming back to the truth. And we need to remember that, um, as is very clear in this book, God wants all of our hearts. He doesn't want half-hearted obedience. He doesn't want us to go through the motions on anything. He wants everything. He wants us. Um, And so when we think about what Christ has done for us, how much he has given, that he has, that he came into the world as a human being, that he lived a perfect life on our behalf, that he died in our place and rose again, and that by faith in him, he gives us his righteousness and welcomes us into his family. How can we not give him everything that he deserves? So, uh, Brian, that's a good place for us to wrap up. So, uh, thank you for chatting today, and uh, thanks for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.